Welcome to the Virginia Economic Review Podcast. This is Jason L. Kuby, President and CEO of the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Our guest today is Jonathan Zur, President and CEO of the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities, a nonprofit organization based in the Richmond area that works with schools, businesses, and communities to promote inclusion. Jonathan, it's awesome to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Jason. I'm really uh, glad to be here and grateful for the chance to chat with you. There, I'd love for you to just begin by telling us a little bit about the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities, about its history, about its mission today. I draw a lot of inspiration from our organization's long history. We were founded back in 1935, and we were initially part of a national movement that was being led to address religious bigotry of the 1920s and 30s. The story sounds like a bad joke. It is not. We were founded when a rabbi, priest, and minister got together. They were going around the country to speak out against a rise in anti-Semitism that was being seen at the time. They were speaking out against anti-Catholic sentiment of the early 20th century. And they went to communities large and small across the United States to share their message. In many communities, it was the first time people had the chance to meet someone from a different denomination or religious background, to ask questions, to dispel stereotypes. These religious leaders, known as the Tolerance Trio, were invited to speak on the campus of what was then Lynchburg College, now the University of Lynchburg. And nearly 1,000 people came out to this conference to hear them speak, which is pretty remarkable to think about a gathering of that size at that time around those issues. And those who were in attendance were so inspired by what they heard that they said, we need to have an organization doing this type of work in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And so they affiliated with this national group at the time, the National Conference of Christians and Jews, or NCCJ, and a Virginia office was formed to advance the work of NCCJ. Over time, NCCJ's work broadened to address issues more expansively, thinking about interfaith work to address issues connected to race and class, gender, sexual orientation, immigration. And so we relaunched as the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities in the early 2000s to become an independent organization in Virginia and to reflect the broader mission and work that had really captured our organization's focus. Today, my colleagues and I have the honor of working with schools, with businesses, and with community groups to help them achieve success through inclusion. You really think about our work as helping individuals and institutions become more successful through a commitment to inclusive practices, policies, and structures. VDP has been a wonderful partner in that work over the last few years. That's terrific. Thanks for that background. I'd love to just hear a little bit more about what you guys are doing today in terms of advancing your mission. We are facilitating workshops, forums, dialogues. Really what we think about in terms of our work is moving people from a process of awareness to action. So we help people to understand concepts, to build empathy, to build motivation, to explore what types of skills they might be able to utilize to really make their spheres of influence more inclusive. Our work in the last few years has been a mixture of proactive work where institutions reach out and say, we need some support and would like to train our employees. We recognize that we have more diversity in our community, or we recognize that we want to equip our employees or our students or our educators, our religious leaders to be able to engage with one another effectively. So we have a good amount of work, the majority of our work that is proactive. 
We also have some work that we are called in to do that is reactive after an incident of bias or bullying or discrimination. Oftentimes, institutions will very quickly call the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities, and we're able to bring in a team of professionals to help with healing, to help with learning, and to help with setting up structures to prevent those types of things from happening in the future. Certainly important work and never more important than it is today. I'd love to hear just about what's exciting to you in this and what the challenges are as you pursue this work. I think what's really exciting is the opportunity to work with a broad range of stakeholders. So we're an organization that is working in all corners of the Commonwealth. Sometimes that means that we're working with folks who are very receptive. Sometimes that means we're working with folks who are not as open to these concepts. And we're very intentional about being an organization that really reaches as many people as possible. We've also begun to do some work to help elevate the conversation and the tenor that we're seeing in some circles nationally, where we have some concern around the state of dialogue, for example. So our organization recently developed and published guides to constructive and inclusive dialogue to help people think about what it means to interact with folks who might have a different perspective or background or worldview and to be in community with those folks, to work in an organization where the person in the next office or next cubicle maybe has a very different worldview than mine, but we're able to build skills to be able to still work together effectively, even if we might have differences of opinion. So that's a resource that we think will be very helpful in these times, and we're eager to provide more thought leadership in the months and years to come to help complement the training work we do and the consulting work we do to provide resources that folks can engage. I think the other thing that has been meaningful, and we've seen this as a trend over the last few years, has been a shift from one-time interactions with certain groups to long-term relationships. So we've really focused as an organizational priority in deepening the type of work we do. And we've seen a real yearning with our partners around Virginia to go deeper than a one-time check-off-the-box type training. So I think that's been a really exciting shift that has helped us in terms of seeing impact, but also helping institutions to really be able to measure tangible success when it comes to their diversity and inclusion work. That's really interesting. I'm wondering if you could just take a moment and describe how we're doing on this front as an American society in terms of advancing dialogue and a diversity of ideas and including different voices. I mean, certainly there's a lot of anecdote and headlines that would suggest that the dialogue, if you will, is more challenging and fraught than ever. But I'm wondering if that's actually true. And I'm wondering what are the signs out there, both of challenges, but also of opportunities for advancing as a society? I think, Jason, that we have a mixed grade. There are some really meaningful opportunities that have emerged in recent years to go deeper than we had in the past. I remember when I started in this role in 2009, there were a number of people who came up to me and said, are you sure this is the type of work you want to be doing? I'm not sure we'll need an organization like the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities for much longer. Uh, almost <laughs> thinking that we had done the work that we need to do. We could check off the box. That feels like a lifetime ago. And nobody is saying that today. Now, that in some ways is a sign of concern that we are seeing some fraying of our social connectedness 
I think that has been exacerbated by social media, where folks are able to really live in echo chambers where they see things that affirm their worldview and potentially negate or ignore or demonize other identities or perspectives. We don't see great modeling from our national leaders in terms of what it means to be able to connect well across lines of difference. So I think there are some real concerns about the state of our civil society. At the same time, we've seen a real acknowledgement that previously had not existed of different groups and identities and experiences, and there's an opportunity that comes from that. There's a framework that we sometimes think about with schools in terms of stages of inclusive development. And the midpoint of this five-stage framework is a stage that is really a pivot point where you have some folks who are saying, you're changing everything that we liked about this place. Why are you bringing up all these difficult issues? We liked it the way it was. At the same time that you have other people saying, we haven't changed anything at all. What's the big concern? <laughs> Why is everyone getting so worked up? We actually have a whole lot of work to do. And we've used that in schools for many years. It feels like in some ways we are in that moment as a society where there are some folks who are saying, we've been calling for change for a long time. It may feel messy right now, but it is long overdue. And we have others who are saying, I was very comfortable the way things were, and it feels like the ground is shifting underneath me. And so I think part of our role at the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities is to do our best to hold space for all of those perspectives and to ensure that we're able to help folks learn along their journey to be able to move forward to more inclusive and successful outcomes. You work with communities, you work with schools, you work with businesses, you work with governmental organizations like VDP on diversity and inclusion goals and initiatives. I just wonder, can you talk a little bit about how the different audiences affect your approach? In other words, do certain tactics or messages tend to work better with certain audiences than others? How do you sort of adapt and adjust depending on who you're trying to work with and support? We spend a lot of time as an organization thinking about what is the way to structure or frame our programs, what are the learning objectives that we have, and certainly the material or content or conversation that we might have with a middle school student is going to be different than a government official or, or a corporate executive would be uh, potentially engaging in a different way than a teacher. All of our programs, though, broadly use certain frameworks. So we design our programs to really link up the head, the heart, and the hand. The head being about content knowledge, information, building awareness, maybe using some data and statistics and history to do that. The heart is really about relationships. So we help folks to think about themselves and do some self-work to think about their peers or their colleagues or their classmates or their constituents. And then the hand is about building skills to apply the learning and the heart work, the motivation work in terms of their spheres of influence. Depending on the institution, there might be an emphasis on one of those more than the others, but broadly speaking, we're trying to provide some combination across them. And what that means is that folks are able to get really tailored and customized work that is grounded in evidence-based strategies and practices. I think for me personally, where we see some of the most exciting outcomes 
are with schools when we see students who are able to find their voice and use their voice to foster environments where bullying can be reduced or where attendance can be improved because students really feel a sense of belonging. I think we've seen some really tangible, meaningful outcomes there. But similarly, we've been able to work with folks at the professional level, whether it's business or government, to really help teams work together more effectively and develop policies and practices that can help to sustain the type of culture and environment that helps them achieve their inclusive goals. A lot of our listeners are folks who work with businesses. We have many businesses that listen to Virginia Economic Review podcast, as well as several folks who represent businesses in the economic development context who try to track business investment and growth. I just wonder if you could take a minute to talk a little bit about why diversity and inclusion is important to business. And in particular, what do businesses gain when they try to cultivate an organization and a culture that embraces diverse backgrounds and viewpoints? There's a lot of research that show that diverse and inclusive teams produce better outcomes. And there are a lot of reasons why that might be. And there are also some reasons that institutions do not benefit from the presence of diversity if they don't have a culture and a climate that really supports and leverages differences. It's important to recognize that diversity and inclusion are different things. Diversity reflects the presence of difference. Inclusion reflects the accepting, respecting, and valuing of diversity. And so to simply have diversity, to plop different people into a space and say, have at it, often does not result in positive outcomes or does not necessarily result in positive outcomes for institutions. In fact, there may be a lower level of trust among employees. There may be some challenges that exist related to foods that are eaten or languages that are spoken or religious observances or practices. Current events might be interpreted differently by different employees. And so to simply put different people into a space and cross our fingers and hope that they're able to work together successfully is not a recipe for guaranteed success. The work of achieving diversity is important and insufficient. And so that's where inclusion comes in to think about how can businesses foster an environment where folks can show up and feel like their full selves, where they can contribute, where they look out for their colleagues, where they are able to share innovative ideas and not feel like they're going to be shut down for that, where they stay late to get the job done right because they care so much about their organization and their colleagues. When we have those types of environments that are cultivated through professional development, through inclusive policies, through mentoring and training and culture building within organizations, that's when we really benefit from the presence of difference because we're able to also foster an inclusive environment. I heard an engineer in one of our professional development sessions several years ago say, you know, he would never hire only people who graduated from the same institution who studied under the same exact professors um, and, and think that that's going to be a recipe for success. He wants to bring people in who think about things differently, who explore the same issue from different areas of expertise and perspective, because when you're able to hear those things, you come up with a much better solution than you would in an echo chamber where everyone says, I think we should do it this way. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. It's hard to get from the comfort of a yes, I agree environment to a I think about it differently. What about this perspective? Have you ever considered this other idea? And still keep that team intact and trusting of one another. What's the role of leaders in fostering that kind of change in culture? 
I think it starts in so many ways with leadership, thinking about modeling and thinking about communicating and in thinking about reinforcing expectations when it comes to an inclusive culture. The challenge for leaders, I think, is that oftentimes organizations are set up to be most comfortable for the leader. So I think about it in my organization. The processes that we have in place are processes that are most comfortable for me. And so if I start to think from a perspective of how is this process landing for someone else, how might somebody from a different background or perspective experience this communication? Ultimately, it may not feel as comfortable for me to make that shift, even though doing so, or at least considering how my communication, how my processes, how my practices land, is an opportunity to bring more people into the fold, to engage more people in caring about the success of our institution. So leaders, I think, are really critical to being models for openness to new ideas, for setting the tone and saying, it's not just about what I want. I want to really understand and think about how our full team is experiencing this or what new ideas folks have. And then ultimately for being an enforcement when there are behaviors that may not align with our stated values around inclusion. So there are times where leaders have to say, that's not an acceptable thing to say here. Or I understand that you have that perspective and within this workplace, we are going to need to all be committed to fill in the blank. How important is it to get buy-in from businesses and corporate partners in this work? In other words, when you think about the totality of your mission and what it would take to achieve it, how do you think about business in that context? I think businesses are central to our ability to advance our mission at the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities and to advance our Commonwealth shared mission, high quality of life and success for all of our residents. Businesses are a place where people often will interact with the most difference within their adult lives. We also sometimes will see that in schools, depending on how our neighborhoods are set up. But if you think about an adult in the Commonwealth of Virginia, in many cases, their neighborhood does not have a lot of racial or religious difference. They are a member of a civic group or a faith community or involved in their children's lives. Oftentimes, they're seeing folks who are similar to them. But when they enter into a workplace, particularly a diverse workplace, they're interacting with folks who are different from them. And so business has become a really critical landing ground for Virginians to be able to build the skills to work across lines of difference and figure out how to engage with one another successfully. I also think that businesses really have a perspective that is important to our government officials, to our civic life. And one of the reasons that we talk about achieving success through inclusion at the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities as our tagline and mission is that we recognize that this is not just touchy-feely, kumbaya, let's all hold hands work. This is really about how we can be at our best, that a workplace, again, that has an inclusive environment is more innovative, more collaborative. There's a higher level of retention. There's higher commitment. And so when businesses can articulate the case for diversity and inclusion in effective and coherent, cogent ways, I think all of us hear that in a way that advances our shared priorities in Virginia. So businesses are critical partners in understanding and advancing a commitment to inclusion. 
you and I both have a chance in our respective roles to see a lot of the entire Commonwealth. It's a beautiful place with credible diversity, not just in our society and citizens, if you will, but also in the just physical geography and mountains and oceans and everything in between. Picturesque small towns, thriving cities. Tell us a little bit about your favorite places to spend time in Virginia. I love that question. You know, one of the greatest joys in this work is being able to connect with people in all corners of our Commonwealth. So you're right that the drive around the Blue Ridge Mountains or going out, I've had the chance through my work to visit a number of the state parks in Virginia, which are such rejuvenating places, see natural beauty and to appreciate what exists within our Commonwealth. I live in the Richmond area, so I really enjoy getting to host family and friends and taking them to the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts or Carytown or the James River. I think the history of Virginia is really compelling and important to be able to learn about and know. And then getting down, honestly, to Virginia Beach is also a really rejuvenating, wonderful place to be near the water, to enjoy the peace and comfort there. So I can't say enough good things about our Commonwealth and really the chance to be able to travel and see so many places and so many people across Virginia. Well, that's terrific. And I think you and I share a lot of the same interests when we're not working. It is a really beautiful and special place to live. Our guest today has been Jonathan Zur, President and CEO of the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities. Jonathan, thank you for your leadership. Such a delight to talk with you today. I really appreciate it and enjoyed it. And thank you again for the EDP's work and partnership as well. This podcast has been brought to you by the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Thanks for listening.